What if it rained food? What if Earth was a cube? What if we had nine lives? What if bits could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have knees, if we walked through life slightly magnetical, it's absurd. Absurd hypotheticals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Guys, this one today feels a little bit like um, one we did not too long ago, but I'm excited for it. So the question that we're doing today is, what if nothing was transparent? The one we did before was, what if everything was a mirror or reflective like a mirror? I forget what our exact question was. It also reminds me of the... What if shadows didn't exist? Yeah. Which is basically the opposite of this. <laughs> Which makes me wonder why we keep doing these questions, because all these questions involving light make my brain hurt. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, definitely. <laughs> but we are in we are in tried and true territory here. So before we get started, just a couple kind of parameters, I guess. Transparency just means that light can't go through it. But we took a couple liberties with this to make it function a bit better for instance we are not counting get we're not including gases so if you count it as all everything light couldn't pass through literally anything including gases everything would just be pitch black and dark and it would just be if everyone was blind because then oxygen would be opaque yeah <laughs> and air it, it gets a little weird because transparency kind of just also involves a little bit of like i guess density like it's not like individual oxygen molecules are see-through but you know it's just that they're not condensed so i don't know we just didn't count gases so all all gases you can see through air just fine but everything from liquids and solids you cannot see through the other one uh and this was one of our conclusions when we were doing the mirror one was that if light can't pass through stuff your eyes don't work so we're gonna not include that one as well we're gonna say eyes work just for the same reason that it it changes the question too much if we just say everyone's blind so it's not including glasses. Our eyes... <laughs> it is including glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to say gases, but I guess I was talking too much about eyes. Yeah, so no gases. Eyes work. And what we mean by transparent also, is... I feel like I feel like there's some weird physics stuff involving, like... I, I don't... I guess, I guess technically there's... There might be some weird, like, heat transfer stuff. I don't know exactly how that would work. We also, I'm pretty sure, all ignored that as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's... We're, we're taking this in the, the visible not spectrum. literal scientific sense because the, the literal scientific sense breaks physics enough that it's, one, makes the question less interesting, and two, puts us right into territory we've tread before with different hypotheticals that break the same things more directly. Exactly. So there's that's that's the setup. Ben, you're the one who goes first. So what did you do? Yeah, so I, I tackled really probably the most pressing question here is how do you make a dang windshield work on a car? <laughs> That's important. <laughs> it's very important. Windshields are really important. I had never really <laughs> thought about all the things that windshields do for you until I did this question. I thought about most of these, I'm not going to lie. But really, the reason we have windshields is that they, they stop things like, you know, bugs, rocks, debris, whatever, um, from getting just hopping up into your car as you're driving and like hitting you in the face because no one wants that. They're also useful for aerodynamics because if you just have like a hole in front of your car, that's going to be a lot of extra drag. It's, you know, going to be pretty, pretty bad there. 
Another generally unimportant until right now purpose is that it does, in fact, let you see out of the car, which is pretty important, it turns out, for operating a vehicle. <laughs> and obviously, if everything, you know, if, if nothing is, is uh, transparent anymore, that's not going to happen, right? You know, right now I make windows out of glass, see through that, easy. Doesn't happen anymore. So how do we get that key forgotten functionality of the window back in so we can, you know drive a dang car around so first idea the simplest one have a camera no for like 12 reasons it's just <laughs> clearly not it's not going to work cameras have lenses those have to be transparent cameras involve light going through things so you can see an image that's it's just not going to work also if you had a camera you'd have to have a screen to see it on which would also be something that is transparent so obviously in lots of non-car scenarios this is clearly going to be a factor as well uh in this non-translucent world Basically, any TV, phone, et cetera, type device is is not going to work. Um, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about windshields. So cameras are out. That one, just get one, you know, right out of the way. Um, we're going to have to go a little bit more uh, old school, I, I guess, kind of. Let's talk about periscopes. So periscopes are are cool. You probably think of them, you know, most, most directly with like submarines, you know, down under the water, periscope pops up. So you can see what's up on the surface. There are many other uses of periscopes. Apparently in World War One, they would fix them to rifles. So so soldiers could see like over the tops of trenches and either A, just look out and, you know, see what was happening. But B, also fire a rifle from inside the trench, which is, is pretty cool. I actually found out the guy who invented the periscope, uh, Johann Hevelius, invented them or at least wrote about them in the 17th century. I was also laughing because on Wikipedia, it describes, it says that he, he described 10 new constellations, seven of which are still used by astronomers, which means like it, it sounds like he wasn't actually that good at astronomy, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> they didn't go into any more detail on that, but I thought it was very funny personally. Well, is naming a constellation more like a popularity thing than like a science thing where it's like, that one looks like a horse and they're like, yeah. And that one looks like a dog. Yeah. That one looks like a fish. No, not really. Not that one. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, better in that case, at, 7 out of 10 is pretty good. Better at, yeah, it, it's not be it's better than I have, honestly. And, you know, clearly better at periscopes than, than astronomy. But regardless, periscopes are very simple. Um, it's really just a series of mirrors, usually with some lenses, just to um, do some, some correction on the image. But you have, you know, a mirror that reflects the light in front of you down and then mirrored again so you can see it below where it's coming from basically right very easy and you know theoretically in a car you could just do basically like you have in a submarine you have you know periscope going up look through that see what's in front of you great simple one problem is that well two problems one mirrors as we usually use them now will actually not work uh most mirrors that we have are um what are called either either back silvered or second surface. There's a process called silvering, which is how you make a mirror, where you put a metallic surface on glass. And generally, you put that metallic surface on the back of the glass, so the glass is in front. This is because that metallic surface is really easy to damage or corrode, things like that, just from, you know, either things scraping across it or from, just, you know, corrosion from moisture in the air, think, you know, that sort of stuff. So instead, we put the glass in front of it, Mirror is still reflective. You get a little bit of refraction from the glass that makes it, you know, it's not perfect, but it, it works well enough for, for most purposes. We do make, fortunately, front silvered mirrors. And these are what you use for precision when you need 
very exact mirrors for I don't actually think it gave any examples of when you need a really precise mirror. Science! <laughs> the answer is science. You're right. But uh, we could just use these instead. But this leads into the second problem, which is that uh, you can't have any sort of glass on the front or eyepiece of your periscope. Which, one, if you go through, you know, say, a dust cloud, it's going to scratch up your mirrors because they're all front silvered. But also, it's going to scratch up your eyes because your eyes are right on that thing. It's just going to go straight on in there. <laughs> so, periscopes, we're, we're getting closer. Like, you, you can see in an ideal situation, but you have a, a pretty big risk of, you know, blindness and, and whatnot by using one in a moving vehicle like this. So we need we need another solution that that gets us a little a little less directly exposed to the elements as we're we're looking outside, and the answer I, I found here uh, comes from what's called a pinhole camera. So a pinhole camera, the idea is you take a box and you make it completely light tight, which note very easy under these parameters, and you just take take that box and you put in one end of it you put a very small hole. In the middle somewhere, you put like a translucent screen, usually like tracing paper or something. And then on the, the end away from the, the hole and, you know, so that the screen is between the hole and, and that end, you put a viewing port. And when you look in, what you see is the image of whatever's in front of the pen, penhole, but upside down. This is because what's happening is that the light is reflecting off of those objects in front, shining through that penhole, and then projecting onto the screen. But it's upside down because things that are above the penhole shine in and go towards the bottom of the screen. Things that are below it go up. So this gives us something because this means that we could have just this very small hole at the front. Shine the light in, project it in, do some mirror magic to get it flipped around so it's going the right way. And we can see it. Problem. Uh, you may have noticed that I mentioned a translucent screen as part of this setup, uh, which obviously would not work because light cannot pass through it. So it would just yeah, project. Yeah, we said that translucency is like partially transparent is what translucency exactly yeah it it requires it requires the idea of translucency is that light goes through it but not cleanly effectively there's it's more complicated than that people are going to yell at me but it's fine so we need we need another solution but fortunately you can do projection using a penhole this is something that people actually do to look at say an eclipse right if you if you make a penhole not camera because you're not taking an image but a pinhole device and shine it onto like a sheet during an eclipse and looking at the sun, you'll be able to see the sun, you know, go through that solar eclipse without looking directly at the sun. So conceivably we could project this image into the car and get sort of our, uh, our outside view uh, this way. One small problem that I, I kind of glossed over in the, the establishment of the pinhole camera is that in order for this to work, whatever you're looking into has to be completely dark. Because if it's not completely dark, whatever light is coming in from around where you're looking is going to blot out whatever you are um, seeing on the uh, projection, right? So the answer is that if you have this pinhole lens, we'll say, project it down, you can project it to the inside of the car, even you know in the front of the car where the windshield would be. But the rest of the car has to be entirely dark for it to work. So you're going to be in pitch black aside from the, the, the whatever image you're looking at of the outside. Additionally, the other problem with the pinhole camera is that they obviously do not let that much light in um, because it's a very, very small hole. So it helps for things to be very well illuminated um, in order to actually see them clearly. So we're probably going to just be blasting very bright headlights all the time on all these vehicles, 
which does have the side effect of if you see one through your pinhole camera, probably blinding you. So <laughs> the answer is that cars, unsurprisingly, are not very practical, but technically could work with this system. Except... Yeah, so you talked about headlights. Headlights. <laughs> headlights specifically. And I, my answer was about light bulbs because transparency is all about light passing through things. And obviously a light bulb is basically the purest form of that. It's light that's being emitted passing through glass. So how does that work? Does it work? So I looked at different types of light bulbs. The first one I looked at was incandescent light bulbs. So an incandescent light bulb, the way it works is that there's a wire filament that an electric current goes through it. It heats it up to a point where it glows. And then that glowing produces a light. The thing is, in order for incandescent light bulbs to work, is that it needs to be either in a vacuum or it needs to be in an inert gas. Otherwise, the filament will will oxidize and it'll burn out and it won't last very long. So you need that glass in order to either keep the vacuum or keep the inert gas. And if you have the ga- if if you have the glass, it's going to be opaque because nothing's transparent anymore. And it defeats the purpose of the light bulb. The light bulb still does its thing. It just doesn't have any light. <laughs> it does it does produce light. It's just not very yeah, helpful it's just to anyone. Contained in the light bulb. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that clearly doesn't work. Next light bulb I looked at was fluorescent light bulbs. So fluorescent light bulb is a type of gas discharge lamp. There are other types of dis- gas discharge lamps as well. One is a neon light. So like gas discharge lamps, basically, you're just sending electric, an electric discharge through an ionized gas. And then different types of gases create different colors. So a fluorescent light bulb uses vaporized mercury. And then obviously that gas needs to be contained as well, which we use glass for. So obviously these fluorescent light bulbs also require glass. Not ideal for us. So incandescent light bulbs don't work. Fluorescent light bulbs don't work. Next, I looked at LEDs. So I wasn't exactly sure how LEDs actually worked. I had never looked into it, so I did for this. And so the way that they work is that there's two semiconductors and electrons are sent through these semiconductors. And in the middle, there's what's called a PN junction. So it's like a a gap between the two semiconductors on either side of this PN junction. Is a, it's positively charged and negatively charged on both sides, which is why it's PN, positive, negative. And when it crosses the PN junction, the electrons drop in energy to compensate for the, the change in charge. And because of this drop in energy, the energy needs to go somewhere and it's emitted through light energy. So that's how it works. Now, LEDs are usually encased in like some sort of plastic or epoxy lens uh, casing. And it's hard, like I looked into this, it was very hard to tell if they're actually required for it to work. (laughs) I couldn't find a definitive answer. Like everything where I was looking to see how LEDs worked, they explained that PN junction thing and the electrons, and they didn't mention the the casing at all. (laughs) But pretty much every LED that I saw had the casing. Much much like lots of the things we research, we are the only ones asking this particular question. <laughs> My assumption would be that the casing helps, like, diffuse the light. Yeah, that was one of my theories, is it helps diffuse the light or it helps, like, protect the components of the LED. So that might be the case. I'm not actually sure. But as far as I could tell, the diode isn't actually reactive to air. 
and it doesn't require a vacuum or a gas to work. So theoretically, it should work without the casing, according to my research. I might be wrong about that, not 100% sure. So that's that's an easy answer. LEDs would work without transparency, but that's kind of the boring option. I wanted to get a little more exciting than that because LEDs, we don't change anything. They already exist. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, what if we had like a lightsaber sort of thing? Because lightsabers emit light and they don't have glass. Is there like a real life equivalent of a, of a lightsaber? So I looked into that and Hacksmith Industries in Canada, they built what they called a real life lightsaber. And it was actually recognized by the Guinness World Records as the first retractable proto lightsaber. And the way it worked is basically this had a nozzle that like regulated oxygen flow. And then they, they attached it to just a propane tank and it blew out fire. <laughs> and they're calling that a lightsaber. They're calling it a plasma based <laughs> lightsaber. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. <laughs> it's not just a, it's just a flamethrower set to medium, right? Like, I mean, it's probably, there's probably more nuance to that than that. But um, yeah, basically it's just a, a blowtorch, I would say. They did say it gets up to 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And they, in the video, they were like cutting things with it, but it it didn't act like a lightsaber cutting things. It just acted like a blowtorch cutting things. I mean, it still emits light though. So theoretically you could use this for light it's kind of just the equivalent of using a candle but like on steroids <laughs> or i don't know a blowtorch <laughs> yeah blowtorch <laughs> and it's kind of inefficient at creating because it's like the same thing as uh, incandescent light bulbs the reason they're inefficient is because you are creating heat energy and then light the light is just a byproduct of that it's not like the the main thing yeah what, one of my favorite fun facts just in general is that the the easy bake ovens uh, which I don't even know if they exist anymore, if they've updated them. But I'm sure they exist. The 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 uh, original Easy Bake Oven literally was just a plastic box with a 100-watt light bulb inside. And the 100-watt light bulb was so inefficient that you could just use the heat it gave off to bake cookies. Yeah. <laughs> and that was all it was, was. There was no tech. There was no heating components besides just putting a regular like light bulb you could buy into a box. Yeah, I forget the exact number, but I think it was like around eight or nine percent of the energy is light energy and then the rest is heat <laughs> yeah bake might be a strong word with easy bake oven because i feel like anything coming out of those didn't get particularly baked right it was just kind of warm dough honestly i mean it's a light bulb so what well, do you expect yeah. i mean yeah so yeah this this quote-unquote lightsaber it's kind of boring still because it's just fire and it's inefficient and you'll be using a lot of propane to do it i wanted to find a cooler way and I did. So to set this up, light is made up of photons, which is just like a quantum particle. It's like the most basic unit of light is a photon. And photons are normally they're they're massless. So normally they don't interact with each other. So if you like flash, if you point two flashlights like perpendicular at each other, none of the photons interact with each other. They just act as if there's one flashlight. But there is something called a pho photonic molecule. And a photonic molecule is a little different. So researchers at Harvard and MIT, they did an experiment where they pumped gaseous rubidium into a vacuum chamber, and they cooled it down to a few degrees above absolute zero. And then they shot a small number of photons into that cloud of rubidium. And what happened was that the photons, they slowed down, and then they, they coupled the atoms 
in highly excited what's called Rydberg states. So, and that it created what they call a Rydberg blockade. So the way this works is basically if there are two photons that enter the cloud, the first photon excites the rubidium atom, like the one of the rubidium atoms. And then there's some sort of, I didn't fully understand this, but there's some sort of rule in quantum physics where if an atom is excited, then the atoms adjacent to that atom cannot be excited. So that prevents the second photon from passing through. So the first photon excites it, and the second photon is just kind of stuck there until the first photon moves on, which means that both photons have to move through the cloud together. Like, they can't just separate. They have to move together. And that means that they have to, like, interact with each other and push and pull on each other. And the end result of this basically is it creates a quote-unquote molecule that basically acts as if it has mass, even though it's a photon. Photons don't have mass. So there are possible applications for this in like quantum computing, but there's also like comparisons to lightsabers in some of these papers. They're comparing it to like, you could have a light structure, like a three-dimensional structure made of light because it's acting as if it has mass. So essentially... We are just binding together a light bulb without the bulb part. We're just containing the light into a mass of light. They don't haven't done this on a, a larger scale. It's it's very, very small scale, like a couple of photons. But theoretically, you can do this. You just need to be very, very cold. You need to be just above absolute zero. <laughs> no problem. That's yeah. always so easy to do. <laughs> Scientists are like, this is the easiest thing I've ever done. <laughs> so the realistic answer is... Just use LEDs. <laughs> the cooler answer, I guess literally, is to use these photonic molecules and light bulbs will work. You'll have these cool light structures. I like the idea of just putting two blow torches on the front of my car and <laughs> just using those for light. Yeah, that's also a cool idea, I guess. It's great on snow days, I tell you that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just all about safety, keeping the <laughs> keeping the snow off the road. Marcus, what did you do? Well, I did my favoriteest, favoriteest, favoriteest topic on the whole podcast, which is the ocean. Ocean is big. Spoilers. Ocean's always big. That's the, not the conclusion this time, though. Now, the thing with the ocean um, is that water is no longer transparent. So now the ocean is just this big, solid-looking blue thing. It still moves like water, but I guess it looks like Play-Doh in my head is what it looks like. It's going to be weird. I mean, there are opaque liquids out there, right? Yeah, like it would look like milk, like milk. It would look like milk after you're done eating Lucky Charms. That's what the ocean's gonna look like. Or like Coke, Coca Cola. I don't know what color it'd be. Coke is opaque. I'm gonna Wait, stay with hold blue. On. Back up. Coke cause... is not opaque. <laughs> Coke is dark. Uh, it's sort of a. It's it's getting close to opaque. It's, uh... I would I wouldn't go that milk is definitely a better example of an opaque drink than Coke. Okay. I don't I don't I don't if you shine a flashlight through a glass of milk and a glass of Coke, it, there's gonna be a difference. That's true, I guess. But anyway, if you look at how the ocean ecosystem functions, there's an immediate issue because the ocean is not transparent, light can't penetrate the surface, and because light can't penetrate the surface, the algae and the phytoplankton can't do their photosynthesis and the entire bottom segment of the ocean food chain uh gets kicked right the heck out so 
uh, I was seeing the <laughs> quote-unquote impacts of this, and just give ahead. The entire ocean dies out um, if you do this, um, except for you have those hydrothermal vent communities deep in the ocean, but they're, they're kind of unique in that they are pretty much the only life on the planet that is not, like, sun-based anyway, like the heat from the sun or the light from the sun starting the, the energy chain. And while these hydrothermal vent communities are very, very cool, they're not that interesting because the hypothetical just doesn't actually interact with them at all in that the rest of the ocean dying out doesn't let these hydrothermal communities like expand and take over the ocean and have a giant ocean of just these hydrothermal communities because they're still limited to live by their one tiny warm spot at the bottom of the ocean. So let's pretend for this hypothetical that it doesn't impact the photosynthesis process because that would also imply that, you know, leaves and things aren't transparent and then all the plants die out and then the whole world just dies and is empty void. So photosynthesis works. I'm going to add this addendum to our parameters here. So now we have this ocean that's effectively dark because fish can't see through any of the water. Uh, so this puts fish that don't use their vision at a pretty distinct advantage. So I started looking at which fish are those. Cool ones I've talked about before. Actually, sharks. They do use their vision. Sharks actually have pretty good vision. They can see to about a dis they can see pretty clearly up to a distance about 15 meters, which is pretty good for ocean life, but Sharks also have lots of other good senses. They can also have their, you know, they're famous for their sense of smell, being able to smell blood from however many miles. Didn't didn't verify those facts. But I did think there might be a, like, last 10 feet problem for the sharks because, yeah, even if you can find where all the fish are, you still have to be able to, like, catch a singular fish. And I talked about it once before on the show, but sharks use electroreception. So they have a bunch of nerve cells around their nose that are sensitive to electromagnetic pulses, and they can actually pick up and they'll instinctually react to the electric frequencies of fish's muscles moving. So when a, when a shark goes to strike, yeah, they're, they're using their vision, they're using their, you know, the smell to find the fish and their vision to, to line up and all that, but they have this extra sense to um, use the electromagnetic field the fish is emitting with its muscles to strike at them. So sharks are doing still pretty good. Jellyfish are doing pretty good. Um, they don't use vision, of course. They're jellyfish. They don't have eyes. So the, the strategy of floating around and hoping shit bumps into you, definitely slightly more successful <laughs> when nothing can see. And then fish is kind of a mixed bag. I mean, there's obviously the the fish that have evolved without eyes, the the, the deep, dark fish that live in caves. There's a, there's a couple... You'll see the cool examples if you watch, like, Blue Planet and stuff of, the, of all these fish that are like, eh, I don't need eyes. Screw that. But actually, I found out all fish have what's called a lateral line, which is a series of microscopic pores along its back that allows it to sense water pressure, vibrations, and movement in the water, which is pretty neat. So fish aren't entirely screwed. They can still use their um, lateral line to kind of just at least panic when things are moving around them. And then kind of the last thing that are doing good is anything that doesn't really care about the sun. So anything that's living deeper than where the the sun penetrates the ocean. And kind of I was thinking, no, oh, this is going to be kind of corner case stuff of all these deep sea fish. And it turns out that's not actually the case. So sunlight penetrates about one to 200 meters into the ocean before it's kind of ineffective. So the maximum depth where you can still detect sunlight is about a thousand meters. But the zone between 200 and 1,000 meters below the ocean surface is called the twilight zone. 
And actually, 90% of the ocean's animals are in this layer. I kind of assumed it would be mostly at the top, where all the or all the light and energy and all the ecosystem is, but it's actually deeper down in this twilight zone. And of all these um, all these fish, the most common by far is the humble lanternfish. I didn't know what a lanternfish was, so I looked at looked it up. And the lanternfish, if you're trying to imagine, is literally just like the economy model of a fish. <laughs> <laughs> like take away anything that looks good or like exciting about a fish and just strip that all away and you're just left with like you know eye mouth fish body shape and like some little fins oh, yeah i just um, looked up a picture big eyes yeah like if, if you imagine putting a fish on your hook as bait when you're fishing you're imagining a lantern fish it might be a lantern fish i'm not sure if they're used as bait actually but as small as they are and as, as dopey and dinky as they are um, they account for over 500 million tons of biomass, which is basically half of all the animals in the ocean. So they're actually a big deal. And it's not one specific lanternfish. There's like 230 species, but they're all the same dinky little fish. They're pretty small. Yeah, I think it's 10 to 15 centimeters on average, um, which is like, you know, three to five inches. But to kind of give you an idea of how many there are living in this like mid-level depth, uh, there's a term originally coined in World War II by submariners called the deep scattering layer. And so when they were start, first starting to use submarines, sonar operators were confused as to why the ocean floor in their area was like higher than expected. And then they were doubly confused that they get readings that the ocean was significantly shallower at night. <laughs> and it turns out sonar reflects off these little guys like swim bladder. And there were so many of these fish that the reflection literally looked like it was just the ocean floor. So though very numerous, they don't, like I said, they don't have much going for them. They're the economy model of fish. But the one thing they do do is they do use bioluminescence. They actually use the same process as fireflies, and they use this bioluminescence to attract prey fish and to attract mates, which, as far as animals are concerned, are pretty important functions, and as far as our hypothetical concerns, does not function at all, because... If you emit light, it's just immediately stopped by the water around you. And also, your skin is no longer transparent either, so you might not even emit past the fish itself. So I was like, uh-oh, this is going to be probably the end of our little friends here on the in the ecosystem. But as I did a little more research, it turns out they're going to be okay. Their main source of food is actually the phytoplankton near the surface, which the pretty lights they're trying to emit don't work on those anyway. And as far as mating, they mate externally which means that they're one of those fish that just, like, spews a bunch of junk into the water. And then, you know, the opposite gender spews a bunch of junk into the water. And then, you know, hopefully some fish babies are made. So they're doing okay, but the hypothetical does change one of their habits, which I mentioned briefly about the seafloor changing elevation at nighttime, because the way that these fish survive is that they do vertical migration. Basically, during the daytime, they hide out where it's safe in the twilight zone, where it's nice and dark, and there's only so many predators and things. Then at nighttime, when everything's dark, they just go up and, you know, they get their, they chow down on all those tasty, tasty phytoplankton. So now that the whole ocean is dark, the day-night cycle doesn't really matter, and it kind of leaves us with two possibilities. Possibility one is that because the whole ocean is dark, the 
successful predator in the predator structures of the ocean changes so that the darkness of the twilight zone is no longer a significant protection against these fish for these fish and then they're just going to be eaten up because they're not really competing well because they don't have any other thing going for them and that's ruining the day for our little lantern fish friends so that's possibility one is that the apex predators become ones that don't care about light and coming out at nighttime is not doing them any favors the second one is that the top zone is now just equally safe compared to the twilight zone and now they don't have to do this whole migrate up and down business they can just live at the top and the predator population doesn't go totally crazy which kind of leads to a population explosion of these lantern fish and since these lantern fish are like the first step up from the primary producers of phytoplankton it's going to bring the whole ocean ecosystem up near the surface because there's going to be no reason for any fish to be any deeper down all the food for everybody is right near the top which sounds fine and dandy this could work except for humans because this is going to turn fishing into a much more lucrative prospect like i said 90 percent of the sea life lives in the twilight zone layer and we don't fish that layer because we haven't found an economical way to harvest all the fish from there. So if all those things naturally come up, it's going to be like freaking just, you know, I can't think of an appropriate analogy, but the fishermen are going to be very happy. Just get a net and scoop. <laughs> it's going to be Black Friday on the whole ocean. There we go. <laughs> and yeah, I guess kind of my conclusion is basically it's not going to end well either way for the lantern fish. And Basically, us humans are ruining the only chance they had by, you know, greedily taking up the planet's resources. Oh, would we would we want to eat these lantern fish? I feel like they're they don't look very appetizing. They don't. Uh no, you wouldn't eat them directly, but they you can use them for fish meal and they have uh the fish have the high fatty acids that are used in a bunch of manufacturing and products and things mm, like that. Okay. So there is value in even our little fish, there is value in uh, uh fishing them out of the ocean. Which means we will. Which means they will die. So, if nothing was transparent, it's a bad day for the lantern fish is where I ended up. And there you have it. Stick with us while we jump over to our Would You Rather question. Ben. Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Would you rather have skin like a cactus or pineapple? Oh. Oh. <laughs> So, um. <laughs> so I'm guessing, I'm guessing with the cactus, the spines are included, the needles. I feel like they're similar. It's just that the cactus is more harsh. Uh, yes and no. So, so with the cactus, right? Conceivably, you could like shave down your needles slash spines, whatever. What do you, are they needles? What's in a cactus? What's pokey? Uh, what do they it's call them? needles. Needles? Pins? They're needles. Pens and or needles. needles. Spines? Could, sp I, I don't know. You could, you could like, shave them down or something. And then you're just kind of, like, nice planty flesh, and it's not bad. But how often do you have to do that? Because it probably grows back, right? Pro I'd assume so. Do, does that... Should we just say, like, like, like body hair? Right. Yeah. Does a cactus... So you'd have to shave pretty often. Yeah, but, but, but I mean, but with a pineapple, you're always going to be kind of rough and pokey. It's not as pokey, but you can't really do anything Yeah, the pineapple, it. you can't, you can't 
your scales like your right you, if you tried to take those off you would just like skin yourself right that's just you removing your that. skin which is something i generally try to avoid doing as much as possible but i mean like under the pins or whatever you want to call them it's still like not pleasant it's still like rough it's not rough it's a cactus uh isn't it kind of squishy i don't actually know i've never shaved down a cactus before i think they're hard i think they're solid but like not rough like the the green part of a cactus isn't uncomfortable to touch what does the green part of a cactus feel like (laughs) (laughs) the weirdest search ever in my mind it feels nice but i don't know why in my mind it doesn't feel nice i think it's spongy i never imagined it being spongy it's like an aloe vera like like a it's like solid but smooth yeah it's spongy it's spongy really okay apparently it's 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 barky but i think it's spongy flush inside you guys ever eaten cactus it's pretty good anyway it doesn't matter right but like a pineapple is juicy inside that doesn't mean like skin is juicy right but but i mean like 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 it's it's a plant it, i don't know it's i don't think it's like rough it's definitely not as rough as a, as a pineapple i can say that definitely yeah okay now i'm just like looking at pictures of cactuses oh i'll look at pictures of pineapples then to uh to counter to <laughs> Yeah, I do got counter information. I feel like I forget what a pineapple looks like. Oh, I know exactly. How do you forget what a pineapple Wait, well, looks the pineapple looks like? is the most distinctive fruit. Well, maybe banana. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine it in my head, but I can't, like, imagine details about the skin. It's pointy. <laughs> Scaly pointy. Yeah. Here. Uh, it's okay. So I have a picture of a cactus that I'm sending, I'm sending to Chris right now. This one, it kind of looks like a cucumber. I don't know. Like, it's not, it doesn't look that bad. I could live with that. Just get rid of those spines. You're good. Needles. Pointers. Whatever you want to call them. Yeah, but like if you cut it open, it's like a cucumber. I feel like it has a thick skin and then the inner part is like sort of separate from that. And the skin is harder in my mind. But it's still it's still better than a pineapple. I don't know. Like, like. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's it's solid. It's but it's generally kind of it's generally fairly smooth. Yeah. But I mean, like when you shave and then it gr- it probably grows back pretty fast, like. If you sh- shave your normal hair, you get stubble pretty fast. That's stubble. That's the next thing I was going to comment that is, is that, that is you point. have to be on top of your game because stubble is like four times more dangerous than full on spikies. Yeah. Yeah. How well protected are you with pineapple skin? Am I worried about defense? <laughs> I, I just mean like in general, like, you know, scra- bruises and scrapes that come up in day to day life. You know, not like someone attacking you. Just, you know, you fall over. I don't know. Pineapple is harder. That is a nice, nice, nice thing there. I think it's better off than my regular skin. I'd imagine so, yeah. Like, if you threw a pineapple at me, I would probably look worse off than the pineapple. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be just looking at a pineapple now. Well, that's what a pineapple plant looks like. <laughs> <laughs> what are you... <laughs> I didn't know that. Did you just Google a picture of a pineapple? And you're like, I didn't know that was a pineapple looks like. Well, I didn't know, like, connected to, like, what it's, what it grows out of. Right, I... It's it's re- it's a reasonable reaction, but it sounded very funny. <laughs> like a pineapple plant, not gonna lie, it looks fake as hell. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like someone just took a regular bush or like you know, throw a tropical shrub and put a pineapple on top of it. Yeah, just like, put it on top and yeah. like glued it. <laughs> right. It. I I understand what he's saying. It was just a very funny way to say it. <laughs> like, do I need to send you a fruit basket of like the basic fruits? I'll put a banana and a tomato in there too for you. Well, I don't know. I guess I never really thought about it, but in my mind, a pineapple grew from a tree. I thought that for a while, yeah. But it doesn't. 
It does not. It grows on top of a shrub, which which looks very funny. It, it's also very it's very confusing as well because if you look at a pineapple on its own, you might assume. I'm pretty sure I originally when I first you know like saw a pineapple assume the pineapple was underground. It was like an onion, right? The pineapple was underground, and there was the on top was growing out of the top of it like above ground, you know, or like a carrot, but. It's not. It's just on top of a weird shrub. <laughs> See, my incorrect pineapple assumption from back when was that it grew on trees and the tree it would be hanging, like the fruit, the, the leafy part on top would be connected upwards to yeah, the tree. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like an apple. Oh, no, I never thought that. That didn't make any sense to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a carrot. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> point being, how hard is it going to be to clean yourself if you're a pineapple? think it's gonna be hard right they're very ridgy and bumpy a lot of nooks and crannies yeah it's the nooks and crannies that are the problem like how often do you think you're gonna have to shave if you're a cactus or if you have cactus skin because like anytime you like before you shower you're probably gonna want to shave and before you interact with anything you're probably gonna want to shave unless it doesn't take that long for the needles to come back that's true can (laughs) can you wax a cactus (laughs) I'm sure you could. <laughs> Going to Google. Hold on. <laughs> no one's Googled this before, apparently. Uh, no, people are just talking about wax on their cactus. It's not helpful. Oh, does duct tape remove cactus spines? It only removes approximately one third of the spines. That doesn't work. What is it like for like the nooks and crevices of your body, like your armpit? Are there spines there? Guys. Much like using glue, wax hair remover spread across your skin pulls the cacti spines out much better than duct tape. Oh, and they're saying if you get cactus spines in you, damn it, that doesn't help us. Oh, oh. so close. Like if you have spines in your armpit, you're going to be constantly poking yourself. I don't know if that's the case in this scenario. I suppose so. Or is it, are the spines like localized to where you would have normal body hair? Well, I guess you'd have hair in your armpits. You do. That is, yeah, that's actually quite a hairy place. I mean, it doesn't infect you that much. Like, I don't know if a, a, a if a cactus would, like, be able to poke through itself. I, I was going to go, could a cactus poke itself? But that's too dumb for even me. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, your nose, if you have nose hairs, your cactus spine, like, needle hairs, needle, nose needles. <laughs> for me, it's very heavily weighted in one direction. I don't know if we want to reveal yet. I think I'm ready to reveal. Marcus, how are you feeling? I am also ready. Okay. Ben, we'll start with you because I think you're the most obvious. Am I? Am I? What would you, what skin would you like? Man, I, I was hoping to go last because I don't really know yet, honestly. <laughs> okay. Okay. I thought, I thought you had decided. Okay, Chris, what do you want to do? So I'm going to go with pineapple just because I don't like the idea. I feel like if you're, if you have cactus skin, you're going to have to shave a lot just based on how fast body hair grows. And I don't like shaving. Actually, I don't shave that often because my facial hair doesn't grow that fast. But I know that a lot of people, they have to shave daily. And if you if you have to shave every time you take a shower or like every time you want to interact with anyone, that's going to be a huge pain. And I just don't want to deal with that. And I don't actually think that having pineapple skin is that bad. It looks a little weird, but it's fine. I'm going to pick the cactus skin because I think the pineapple, I don't like the not having the option to 
become less of a burden on every, on those around me by having that. And also, I think the, the biggest factor for me is actually the nooks and crannies problem where I can get nice and clean and sha- clean shaven as a, as a as a smooth cactus boy, but the the pineapple is just you're just always going to be gross and unpleasant. I just don't want that to be my skin. What? I mean, theoretically, if in the nooks of and crannies of your skin, if like all of it is pineapple skin, it's not going to irritate the other part of the pineapple skin. It's not going to irritate it. I'm just going to be very dirty all the time. Mm. Mm. Like there's going to be grime underneath, like underneath those spikes because the spikes like fold over. So you can't like clean those because there's spikes in the way. And then like there's ridges between those. It's like not going to happen. All right. I've deliberated. I believe I I am going to also go with cactus. I just feel what? like uh, craziness. The dirtiness is is a problem. I feel like I don't understand you guys. I feel like when you shave yourself down, which I I mean, yes, you're gonna have to stay on top of it. You might have shaved, you know, two or three times a day, but I think it's just you're gonna be a lot more approachable. How I don't understand how you're gonna be more approachable. Also, you can hide in the desert by taking your shirt off and putting your arms up and like a teeth like you know. <laughs> <laughs> you do you are like a generally cactus shape. It's pretty great. That's a very good <laughs> mental image. So I want you that. You can't do that as a pineapple, I guess. Point towards cactus for that. Yep. Alright. If if you want to comment on how wrong we are about our pineapple or cactus skin debate. I do. How do I do that? <laughs> you can um you can do it a couple ways first off you could do it alongside a wonderful five-star review on your favorite podcast viewing platform reviews are a great way to help the show for free where you just write nice things about us and fill in all the stars and then it helps the show grow and be appealing to more people and more people that listen the more we get to do the show and the more awesome hypotheticals you'll get to hear. And then in the text of your review, just say, I like pineapples more than cactuses. Cacti. And people will understand. (laughs) Exactly. Or if you want to talk to us directly, you can send us an email at absurdhypotheticals at gmail.com if you want to just complain. But also one of the things that you can do and have uh, a direct impact on seeing your awesome thoughts in the show is send us a question. We love getting audience questions, so if you have an idea for a crazy hypothetical question you think would be good for the show, send it to us at absurdhypotheticals at gmail.com, and we will look at that, take it under advisement, and if we like it, we'll do it on the show, and it will be immortalized forever in this digital entertainment medium. And then if you also want to be immortalized forever, you can do it directly by going to www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals, and by giving us your dollar each month you get access to all our extra content and will be immortalized by i guess the tracking data in in <laughs> in patreon <laughs> in our memory I, I wasn't quite sure where i was gonna go with it but uh we'll see that you donated and we'll remember you forever you will be immortalized in our hearts that's it that's a, that's perfect thank you chris how could i forget so those are all the cool things that you could do another cool thing you can do is you can just simply join us next week where we answer the following question What if concrete didn't exist?